Test one, two. Mike's working. We're ready to rock and roll, man. Before I get started, I had also a, while we were worshiping, a kind of image that dropped into my spirit. I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard of or played a game called Minecraft. <laughs> Basically, the goal and the point of this game is to make whatever you like, with no purpose, and fight creatures for whatever reason if you want to. Take blocks, build blocks. One of the main blocks in this game is dirt. And when you're building, you have to move a lot of dirt. And you have seven slots in your inventory, and those slots get filled up with dirt. Now, you can build chests in your house, or wherever you're building, and put that dirt in those chests. But you start to gather a lot of dirt. And if you have too much dirt, there's no way to put the diamonds, the emeralds, the things that are important. And this is where I think some of us are at right now. Our inventory is full of dirt. Stuff that we don't need. And instead of just getting rid of it, we put it in chests and we store it. Thinking, oh, well, if I ever need it, I can grab it. If I ever need to re recollect that dirt, I can grab it. But at least it's not in my inventory, so. It's not in my personal inventory. And I have a feeling that we need to take that dirt and go down and find the lava, the spiritual lava, and throw that dirt in there, and get rid of it forever. Because if we want to see freedom, we can't be burdened with dirt. We can't be hoping that one day we're going to have to go and use that dirt again. We have to throw that dirt in the holy fire, so that we may be free. And that can come about like Jesus did. Spending time in the desert, spending time with the Lord. Jesus himself had to retreat time and time again. Before he started his ministry, he did it for a long period of time. 40 days, 40 nights in the desert. And if you're feeling burdened and you're looking for that liberty in your life, I just want to encourage you. you got to throw it in the holy fire. And you got to lay it at his feet. you got to get rid of it. And the best way to do that is to spend time in His Word, extended periods of time in His Word. We're going to get over encumbered otherwise. Anyway. Oh, my computer wants to restart. Wait an hour. <laughs> Promise I won't go off for an hour. Otherwise, my computer will shut. So, yeah, that's just extra. That's not really related to what I'm talking about today. I just want to encourage you to spend time with the Lord. Retreat in His presence for an extended period of time. Not just for 10 minutes, not 20 minutes. You're feeling tired, overwhelmed. Take a whole day. If you have a family, say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take this day. I'm going to go out to the forest. I'm just going to spend time with the Lord today. You'll find it. Reju rejuvenated. All that dirt will be left in your inventory forever. Amen. That's extra. That's just not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is related to Mark, or sorry, a continuation of Mark. We've been doing Mark for the last couple of months, and can you believe we're only in chapter 6? <laughs> takes a while to get through this juicy word. I don't know, it's my favorite word. 
So I'm going to continue in Mark today, Mark chapter 6, verse 1, and it's going to be following the life of Jesus as we have been. We'll be looking at his parables, his miracles. Today's title is about unwanted prophet. I get to talk about a very interesting scripture. Something that is a little bit different from what you see throughout the rest of, uh, of Matthew, Mark, and John, the Gospels. We're going to see rejection. I mean, we see rejection in the, in the, uh, the Gospels, but very, a very where even Jesus himself models at unbelief and rejection of him. So I'm going to start by reading Mark 6, verse 1. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Judas, and Simon? Naughty sisters here with us. And they took offense to him. And Jesus said to him, said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, and they were healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So it's a very interesting scripture. It's a little bit different to what we used to see in the Gospels. So a little bit of context to the scripture. If you didn't know, Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus, before the age of 30, was a pretty normal dude. He wasn't any particularly good-looking fellow. You wouldn't have even noticed him in a crowd of people before his ministry. It talks about that in Isaiah. He was born in Bethlehem, in a manger, and he grew up in a town called Nazareth, which is in the northern part of Israel. Small little town at the time. Now it's bigger, it's one of the biggest cities. But at the time it was a small little town. And people would joke about Nazareth. I mean, your boy Nathaniel, not me, Nathaniel in the Bible, even says, John, when uh, John was saying, hey man, this is guy from Nazareth. He's like, Nothing could come from Nazareth, man. <laughs> so that's the kind of reputation Nazareth had. And here's where Jesus was grew up. Not born, but that's where he spent his childhood and his years being a carpenter with his family. So that's kind of the context to the scripture. So we understand Nazareth and who Jesus was. Nothing. It wasn't anything special. He worked a regular job for 18 years. <laughs> so he knew what late was, followed the customs, went to the synagogue every Sabbath day. He was a good, good outstanding Jew. Nothing special. But there's three main points I want to pull from the scripture. The first being very obvious, and if you read that scripture, you probably got it right away. That a prophet has a hard time in his own community. So that's one of the main, main points in the scripture. That a prophet is not really welcome in his own house. 
His community will reject him because they know him so well. The second point, Jesus himself could do no mighty work except for a few miracles due to the lack of faith in the people of Nazareth. And the third, even though he knew that their unbelief was something to be marveled at, Jesus followed the Holy Spirit and still went there and gave them a chance to accept him and his teachings. So those are the three points I want to touch on today that I want to, that I felt kind of were pointed out in the scripture to me. Now, the awesome part of this scripture is that in like some, some of the other the stories in uh, the Gospels, they're repeated in different Gospels. So, I'm going to read Luke chapter 4, verse 16, which is the same story, but has a bit of a different view. Gives us a little bit more, a little more insight into what happened in Nazareth. So again, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Then Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And when he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled the scroll back up and returned it to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was confirming that the scriptures, Isaiah, prophetic word from Isaiah, was speaking about him. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this the son of Joseph? They said. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your own town in your hometown, what we have heard you do in Capernaum. Then he added, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I tell you truthfully that there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and a great famine swept over the whole land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. On hearing this, all the people in the synagogue were outraged, or enraged. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill in which, was, in which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But Jesus passed through the crowd and went on his way. Because he's a pretty average human being, probably. Just kind of blind in with the crowd. Like a spy, slip away like a ninja. But you can see in this scripture there's a different perspective on this. 
In Mark, it's very straightforward, very simple. Kind of the highlighted point was the ones that I talked about. But in this, you get a bit of a better context. Instead of just outraged by Jesus, we see that they literally wanted to kill him. I mean, he was basically, in their eyes, blaspheming against the Lord. He was saying, I am God. And that's pretty offensive to the point of death. That's usually what you do, is kill someone that would do that in their culture. So they weren't just offended. They wanted to kill the guy. So it gives a much deeper understanding to the scripture, which is awesome. That's what I love about the scriptures. I love about the gospels. And why it's so important to read all of them. To read the whole Bible. Because you get different perspectives on the same truth. Because the truth is so rich. Now, let's get to the first point. A prophet has a hard time in his own community. In verse 24, Luke, verse 4, verse 24, we see Jesus using two instances where God directed previous prophets to perform miracles of faith with people outside of Israel, implying the reason, or a reason being, because the people wouldn't accept a prophet from their own town. And it seems God moves where faith is found. Even in the Old Testament. Even when God was moving specifically in Israel before he moved in the whole world. Like we see in the New Testament. And Jesus claims this as a fact. A fact of our sinful nature. Of the world that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know the truth. The fact that it's very, very, very difficult to receive the truth. From someone you know, a family member, a good friend. But why is a prophet rejected by his own people? Why does it say, Mark, relatives give no honor to a prophet? The acceptance of any prophetic word, any truth, any revelation. Is only accepted by faith and belief that it is true. Sorry, let me repeat that. The, acceptive, the acceptance of any prophetic word requires the faith that it is true. It is hard to believe someone has the revelation of truth one day when the person that you know so well didn't have that revelation the day before. So in this case, Jesus was a regular dude. He goes away for a couple months, comes back and says, Hey man, I'm the Messiah. Thirty years you've been waiting to tell me that? <laughs> it's hard to take it, right? It's hard to believe. And this is a particularly, particularly true for those, like I said, that don't know God that don't know Jesus, that don't believe that Jesus can move in ways that you won't understand. So for the unbeliever, it is hard to accept the truth, particularly when you don't honor the person bringing it. 
It's interesting in this case because we know Jesus was blameless his whole life. But humans are so quick to assume and think we know what perfection should be. To think what the Messiah should be. That when perfection stares us right in the face, we can still miss it. Especially if that perfection didn't do anything extraordinary the day or two before. We can even know God like the people of Nazareth, whose religion, their lives were based upon God's law. They can even know who God is and how He works and how He's magnificent and how He can bring the world into existence with just a word. But still miss the revelation of truth. And from an outside perspective, looking at this story, you think, what are you thinking? You guys are crazy. You have Jesus in your, literally grow up with you. And you don't know, he's, you can't see that he's the Messiah. And he says that, and you don't see it. What? Crazy. But if you put yourself in the, their shoes, like I mentioned earlier, You've seen Jesus just a carpenter works his whole life, 18 years just slogging away like all of us do, at a very practical job, nothing fancy, doesn't look fancy. You're not really going to expect him to be the one, the true Messiah. That's what's so awesome about God and awesome about the story of Jesus. It's the unexpected. The one that didn't have everything that is the one to save us all. And that's powerful. But if you think about it in the context of their life, you can understand why people think it's kind of weird that this guy is now saying he's the Messiah. It is the reason that when you've preached to your family, to your friends that are close to you, that have seen you, that have grown up with you, have a hard time accepting what you say is the fact. Because they've seen all your flaws. They've seen you get very angry. They've seen you mess up. And now you're claiming to be someone that knows the truth, the full truth, and the only truth. Kind of makes sense. Now, how does this apply to us in our family here, our church family? Prophetic words brought in our community can be dismissed if we allow our worldly instincts to service. And particularly that of what this scripture is talking about. That we don't like to accept a prophet in our own house. That's a sinful response. That's how the world responds. We've got to rise above that. I mean, here's an example. Perhaps we've heard a prophecy said a hundred times from the same few people. You're going to say, mm, I don't know if that's what God's saying. You've said it a hundred times. And maybe it's come true. But then when someone from outside our church comes in, gives the same word, we go, Whoa! Did you hear what that person said? God's going to move. 
It's going to bring all these people in here. And then what happens? Our faith is reignited. I'm ready to worship the Lord. Prophecies come about us. Even though the same prophecy has been said by the people around the house a hundred times. That's just an example of how that can become the reality. Our God moves, He brings the word how He sees fit, through whom He sees fit. And we've got to trust every time that the Lord is trying to speak. We need to be careful of that, that habit. That's a response that we, we tend to have. And God, Jesus is even pointing that out to us in the scripture. Now, before I move on to the next point, I just want to take a little side step. And I want to highlight or, or note the connection between honor and faith. In Mark's version, it talks about the prophet's honor, which can be defined as showing esteem for one deserving of respect, attention, or obedience. How could the people of Nazareth have faith in Jesus when they didn't honor him? Another example that comes to my mind when we're talking about honor is honoring your mother and father. I think it's the fourth commandment. What is so significant about this honor that is referred to in the commandment, I believe, is the connection to faith. You are trusting or having faith in God that He has placed the authority in your life for a reason, and the decision they make in your life are for reasons beyond your life and your understanding. So when the Bible calls us to honor our father and mother, it's because they have authority in our life. God has placed them in our life for a reason. And you must honor them. And by honoring them, you have faith in God, by God that He's placed them there for a reason. Even though they may be flawed, and when you're young, you think your parents are pretty flawed sometimes. Probably not as flawed as you think that. They probably not make every perfect decision. But by honoring them, which leads to submission, you're saying to God, you know better than I do. That authority you placed in my life is there for a reason. Even if I disagree with them, even if they're crazy, even if they don't always align with what the Word has called us to do, honor them. Because by honoring them, you're having faith in the Lord. So I just wanted to make that connection. And then that obviously ties in to authority in our life outside of our parents. You know? You want to honor the authority. You want to honor those who God has placed in your life who may speak truth, His truth to you. And that's the importance of honor when it comes to faith. And I just wanted to highlight that. That they're tied together. Point number two. Jesus himself could do no mighty work except for a few miracles due to the lack of faith 
the people of Nazareth. Now, I've heard this scripture be used as a point of contention, as a point to say, hey, God can't do everything. Here, look. I mean, we're not claiming he can do everything because he's perfect. He can't sin. Because if he sinned, he's not perfect. So, by definition of who he is, there are certain things he cannot do. I just wanted to kind of highlight that. We'll, we'll chat about that for a second. So when someone says, uses the scripture, we just say, no, 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 no. I'm not saying Jesus can do everything because he's perfect and there's certain things he won't do. Like he won't sin, he won't lie. If someone doesn't want to be healed, he's not going to heal because he respects their free choice and their free will. So if you ever hear the scripture being used in that context, just remember. But selfishly, I have to say, I love this part of the scripture. Why? Because it highlights the importance, it highlights the power of my faith. That's why I like, I mean, Jesus himself moved on because of the faith of the people. That's how much power your faith has in your community particularly. You want to see God move in your community? You got to have faith. If you don't have faith, His plan is going to continue, but it might just bypass you and possibly you. My choice to honor God and have faith in His Word can literally allow the move of the Spirit or the moving on of the Spirit. God gave these people some of the first revelation of the truth of Jesus. Man, they had Jesus grow up in their town. But Jesus himself would not continue to preach and perform miracles because they did not honor him and therefore could not have faith in him. They chose to believe their idea of what the Messiah looks like rather than believing the reality. The reality that Jesus was the Messiah. God has given us the ability to receive His revelation in our community or not. An example of this, an example of this faith, or where faith affects a community, or should I say a nation, is the story of Jacob. A man whose life was filled with drama. After tricking his brother Esau, who threatened to kill Jacob out of his birthright and inheritance. Jacob fled to his uncle Laban's house. Many years later, Jacob decided to return home. That's when he got the word, Esau was on the way to meet you with an army of 400 men. For Jacob, this is probably the breaking point. <laughs> he probably longed for a new life, a fresh start. His past haunted him. He had tricked his brother out of his birthright, lied to his father, and his name was a constant witness against him. 
The name Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. It's pretty rough. <laughs> In Genesis 32, Jacob sent his entire family ahead of him and spent a night alone in camp. That night a man appeared to him and they had a wrestling match. Jacob fought relentlessly, but soon realized he was up against no ordinary man. He was wrestling with God himself. And yet, even though he could not win, Jacob would not give up, crying out, I will not let you go unless you bless me. In response to this act of faith, Jacob was given a new name, Israel. By faith, Jacob was given a new name and a new destiny. No longer would he be Jacob the deceiver, instead he would be Israel the name given to God's chosen nation. That is the power of our faith. Now, God's plan is going to happen. His plan is going to unfold. What He intends to happen is going to happen. We have the ability to partake in that. Jacob, with faith, turned around his destiny and affected his community, his nation, the nation of Israel by faith by saying I will not let you go Lord until you bless me I want your blessing I long for a new name a new life a new destiny I've been haunted by this wrong my whole life please Lord and Lord bless them So let's choose to believe in the miraculous and the prophetic, using the Word as our guide and the Holy Spirit as the power. Let's choose to have faith. When someone brings a word, a prophetic word, let's choose to hear it. Let's see what, what are they saying? What are they saying? That God is possibly saying to me, how does it apply to my life? Lord, I want to hear your revelation in this. Grab it, hold on to it, wrestle with it. And that applies to the word brought here on a, on a Sunday morning. Wrestle with it. Say, Lord, I want to understand it. I want to apply it into my life. I believe it. Bless me, Lord, through this word. God want to work with him too. He always wants to work with us. But you'll see that you want to work with him too. And that you want to partake in this amazing, amazing gift that he has given us. Point number three. Even though he knew that their unbelief, their unbelief was something to be modeled at, Jesus followed the Holy Spirit, and still went there. Gave them a chance to accept Him and His teachings. Jesus knew. God knew. The Holy Spirit knew that this is how men respond. They don't accept a prophet from their own town. It's hard enough to believe when you don't know the person. It's even harder when you do know when they're bringing the truth, right? Jesus knew that. 
But yet, he still went. I mean, if it was me, I'm a, I'm a bit of a practical man. If I knew someone, like I'm trying to convince something, or, con- or not con- yeah, convince someone of something, and I know beforehand there's absolutely no way they're going to be convinced. I'm going to move on, man. I'm not going to waste my time. That's me, and that's why I'm not Jesus. That's my sinful nature. I think, ah, oh, they're not going to listen to me. Why must I say I'm not going to speak the truth? I'll just let it pass in life. The opportunity presents itself. They say something that is an opportunity. They bring up a conversation where the opportunity to share the truth comes around. But you know they're not going to listen, so why waste my time? And sometimes you even use the word in your favor. Oh, I don't cast all the force line. I'm just telling you how I think. You don't have to say that you think it's true. That's how I think sometimes. But in this case, we see Jesus not doing that. He didn't do that. He knew that they're not going to accept him, but he still went. He still went. And this is a literal manifestation of God's intent that everyone should hear and have a chance to know the truth. Even though they may not accept it. Many people aren't going to accept it. And it's sad. It's sad when you know the implications. But we still need to do it. And that's what I believe is being showcased here. No matter the outcome, no matter what we know, we think we know, share the gospel. It's a powerful example of what I believe our attitude towards people should be. Share always and anyways. Share always and anyways. Let us be the opportunity for choice. Let us present the choice to the people around us. I want to go into work tomorrow and I want to be the opportunity for choice. I don't think we understand. I mean, I don't think. I know we don't understand the full implication of the truth being spoken to someone. You may say one small thing about Jesus. Yeah, I think, you know, Jesus was not just a moral feature. Oh yeah, Jesus' word was alive. I thought he was like Jesus, as everyone knows. He's just a guy that says some really good things. No, I don't think so. Why not? Well, Rose again. I'm saving you, can be saved too. Just that. You know, just that. You never know. That guy could walk away, that girl could walk away. Think about it. We go look. Boom. The spirit comes. They find a teaching on YouTube, and they start digging, and they come to know Christ. And you will get to know how much of an impact it has. Maybe you will one day. But at this point in time, you won't understand. So just rule of thumb. Share always and anyways. I mean, Jesus throughout his life, as we see in the scriptures, confronted people who didn't want to believe. He knew they didn't want to believe. He knew that they were trying to trick him. 
I mean, the story with, what is it, Matthew? About the, the coin where it literally says, the Pharisees came and asked him questions to trick him. Hey, do we pay taxes to see them? They don't want to know the truth. They just want to see Jesus kind of say, oh, I don't know. Taxes that. <laughs> he takes it around and he says, I'm not even going to fall for your tricks. But here, give to God what is his. Maybe it's his. Maybe, you know, give, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Have faith and give to God what is his. Now, the Pharisees, they don't want to hear that. They're not going to believe. But hey, you never know who's listening. So when you know someone is not going to change their mind, Say it anyway. Because maybe someone down the hall is listening to that conversation. Especially if you have a loud, loud voice like me. <laughs> Get into a nice, thick debate in the middle of work where people are walking down the hall. What are you talking about? Oh, sorry. I'm a bit loud. Sorry. You don't know who's listening. I'm going to say it again. Say the truth always and anyways. Don't know who's listening. And let's use Jesus as an example of that. Jesus was a boss when it came to that. He owned the truth, man. And he was saying it everywhere he went. And he followed the Spirit everywhere he went. The perfect example of what we need to be in our lives. So, those are the three points I was. Yeah, I found in this scripture. And I trust that you can hear what the Lord is saying through this word. And that you can wrestle with it. And be blessed by it. Amen. Thanks, Andy. Very good. Very good indeed. And while he was sharing... Obviously, what the Lord was wanting to say came up. And, uh, yeah, something that I have sensed recently uh, that, and even with this behind us, this picture, the fields are ripe. The fields are ripe for harvest. And I was just discussing this always and anyways in terms of evangelism or let's say sharing our faith, or whatever you'd like to call it, just letting our light shine. And I, I remember my brother telling me about a story about this one chap that led a church was particularly focused on seeing people saved. And he says, one of the things that he would do, he'd go into the restaurant, and while they were ordering the meal, he'd want to pray, like some of us will do in pray. But instead of just praying with the people that were there, he would order, he would tell the person that was serving them, they say, we're just going to say prayers, why don't you join us and then grab his hand and then pray for the meal. And then you think to yourself, that's like, that's like odd. And the Lord reminded me of that. Anyways and always is a good thing. And I thought, well, is there a scriptural reference? And I thought, you know what Paul did? When he was on the ship, just about to be shipwrecked, he broke bread. Do you know the people he broke bread with were not all believers? 
I love it. Come on, Prince. That's right. That's right. They were not all believers. And it just gave me a sort of an insight into how we often think about reaching out to people as an occasion where we need to preach the gospel rather than just include them in your normal talk, how you would talk about the Lord anywhere you went. Just include people in it. So that it is a natural thing because that demonstrates faith. You know? That demonstrates faith. I heard our famous Canadian Jordan Peterson was asked a question. A lot of people think, well, oh, we're going to save. He's not saved. I can tell you right now, he's not saved. He has God conscious, no question about that, but he's definitely not saved. Um, and um, they asked him a question about a question of, about the, about this whole thing of salvation. And the way that he experienced it is because people would say, you know, just receive Jesus into your heart. And he says, I'm not going to fit into your little camp over there. Alright? Now what he was saying was very important because it's a way of reaching out to people that sometimes we get wrong. We always think that we've got to do it. Just get, say the sinner's prayer and then you'll be in there. You know, a person can say the sinner's prayer 5,000 times without faith. Do you know that? That's not how you do it. Rather don't do it like that. Share faith in a natural way. And I believe that we've got to do it. God must give you boldness to do it. We need to become bold. Anyways and always. I love that. That's a prophetic word for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord God, that we would share our faith anyways and always. Wherever we are. We know, Lord God, that the harvest is ripe, Lord God. Lord, we know that you are wanting us to be a people that spread the gospel, Lord God, that are not ashamed of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would see what is at stake. As Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. That, Lord, when we share the gospel, people's eternal well-being is at stake, Lord God. We think about helping people get into a place where they can eat better, that they can smile better, that they can be happier down here, Lord God. And what is at stake is far, far more important, Lord God, in terms of their eternal well-being. I pray, Lord God, that you put a fire in every single one of our hearts, mine included, Lord. I know that, Lord, we this part of the aspect of our faith often gets neglected. I pray that you put in us, Lord Jesus, a fire that cannot be quenched, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you ignite us, Lord, like you ignited the early church to be a people, Lord God, that share our faith always and anyways, Lord. That, Lord God, we would not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto the salvation of everyone. And that we would share always and anyways, Lord God. I pray that. I pray that into each of us right now in Jesus' name. And I pray right now, if you have never, or if you are in any ways, in a, even a little bit insecure about your eternal destiny, then I say, make right with God today. Make right with God today. Maybe you've been pretending. You can pretend in evangelical setting easily. We can come along to church. We can play in church. 
But we're playing with our eternal welfare. And we're playing with the eternal welfare of our children and our children's children. We're playing the eternal welfare of those that we love when we play the game of salvation. We've got to be dedicated to Christ and be ready to share our faith always and anyways. And in fact, when we share our faith anyways and always, it ignites our faith so that coming to church and being a, a, not coming to church, being a kingdom person with all that is involved, because church is a part of it. Lord doesn't become a drag, but it becomes an excitement. It becomes something that is igniting us. And I pray for that, Lord. Oh, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nanny. That's wonderful. Anyways and always, please, please people, go and get your children. They'll be waiting for you. Amen.